everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Mental Conditioning Gym Podcast. I am your host, Elliot Allen. And I got to say, you know what? The last two weeks, I, I forgot to say my name last week uh, to open up the show. I was so excited. I'm so excited with the name change of, of the of the podcast and being able to uh, record these podcasts from the Mental Conditioning Gym. It got a little out of hand and I did forget to say my name to start the show. So I'm starting it off right um, this week. My name is Ellie Donald, and I am the host of the Mental Conditioning Gym podcast. And I am equally as excited um, this week because um, we have an excellent, excellent, excellent guest on. This is going to go back this week to some of my uh, informational. We talked last year about having the different pieces to the podcast. We talk about family and we talk about information. And so we're actually going to get both of those pieces today. This guest is what they say multidimensional and that we're going to be able to get information and we're going to be able to talk about family. And then there's another half a piece. I got to put a disclaimer on it. She is actually family. So this is going to be really, 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 really special. Um, the show today uh, on the mental conditioning Jim podcast. Let me just give her an introduction. Um, this is a near and dear person to me. This is actually my cousin, ladies and gentlemen. So show her all the respect in the world as I introduce her. Even though you're not in the studio, I want to hear a round of applause when I introduce this young lady to you guys. It is my lovely cousin, Rhoda Brown Blackburn. How are you doing? I am fantastic. How are you today, Elliot? Good to see you. Good to see you too. I'm very, very excited about it. So the informational piece, ladies and gentlemen, is that um, Rhoda is a adoptive mother and we're coming into the, the, the month of uh, Mother's Day. So I thought this would be more appropriate. And we've also had a theme of having some very, very powerful women on. And as we continue with that, um, Rhoda in her own right as a woman is a very, very powerful woman. But this is an extra piece um, that I wanted everyone to be able to listen to, because I think in this particular uh, country, especially, you know, this is a word that uh, or a process that a lot of us don't know a whole lot about. And I think this is something that we need to bring some light to. We talk a lot about parenthood uh, here in the mental conditioning movement itself and how important developing our families are. Why is that such an important piece? And this is an alternative option for us. And, and as I was writing, I was telling Rhoda before I came on, as I was writing the questions to it, I got extra excited because there's a whole lot of things that I don't know. And so I'm very, very curious to hear answers as we get into this discussion about adoption, how this process works mentally. Of course, that's what we deal with. But at the same time, this is going to be two pieces because we're going to talk to Rhoda about mentally where she's at during the whole process. And of course, we're going to actually lean on her also to give us those informational pieces, those background pieces as to how this process actually works. Because I think for a lot of us, quite frankly, it's probably an intimidating thing. And what happens with fear, we usually just retract and we don't want to get involved. So again, we welcome Rhoda to the show and we thank you so much for being, you know, an outlet for us to be able to hear about this. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're going to go ahead and get started. We get it started in traditional way here in the Mental Conditioning Gym. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to do this, you know, in tradition of mental conditioning, Jim, in the, in the tradition of our podcast, we start at the top and then we rewind we, we to the beginning. So right off the top, I'm going to ask you, Rhoda, tell us a little bit about your son. Absolutely. Uh, Shannon just turned 12 years old on April 15th of 2022. He is a recently adopted child. 
and he got adopted last year. Wow. So with that, we're going to rewind it up, this whole process. And I want to try to slow myself down and calm myself down because I want to really take my time and dig into this because there's so many different pieces. And I think it's so befitting, again, of the mental conditioning gym and for everybody else. So I'm going to ask you for, we're going to start with you uh, as the parents. We want to start with you and kind of ask you, tell me about your mindset into just getting into the thought process of being an adoptive parent. Tell me, take me through that. How did that start for you? That's very, very critical to our listeners and try to be as detailed as possible because I know there's a lot of people who will relate, but they just brush it off. So tell us about that, Rory. Sure, absolutely. It, so it wasn't something that was an idea that my husband and I wanted to do at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I have to go a little bit further back because it has a lot to do with me as a woman. Sure. Um, unfortunately, I'm not able to have children. I had six miscarriages and I delivered my daughter at 28 weeks, stillborn. Mm-hmm. And I found out about 40, I wasn't able to have children because I didn't have, I then had to have a partial hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. So then we started to think about I was offered a number of options and options could be adoption or fostering. But then I also had to sit down and think about my why, because at the time I wasn't married to my current husband. And when I did get married to someone that I truly love and it was a true partnership, we actually had to sit down, him and I, and talk about what do we see ourselves as being a family? And you certainly have to sit down with your partner and talk about if there's not an option to have biological children, what are the other options and what are we willing to do Mm -hmm. for those other options? So my husband and I first had to sit down and talk about it because it's a partnership. I couldn't do it solely by myself. And so my husband and I sat down, we talked about, do we see ourselves raising a child in our home? and giving them the love and support and security that they would like to have. And it doesn't matter where the child is coming from. So first you really have to sit down and talk about what your why is. Why do you want to have a child? Whether Mm -hmm. it's a biological child or a foster child or adopted child. Mm -hmm. So once we understood our why, that we wanted to give love, security, and just, just overall give the child what they really need, Mm -hmm. that gave us the decision about going into a possible adoption. And that's how we got here. Excellent. And I want to, I want to, again, this is really, I love doing this show because it, it, it's, it's important what you just said, but we're going to eat that a little bit more. I'm going to push that a little bit more because it's really important what you just said. And that's actually a question that's right there on my, on my page. That's when I know I'm in the, in the groove because you're, you're forwarding the questions, but I want to ask you again, because that was a discussion that you had to have with your husband and I'm sure that's a conversation that you have to have had with yourself too. Now, understand this. Some of these questions may sound a little trivial, but I want our audience to hear it because I know that they go through it. Was a question in your mind, can I be fully committed to this particular situation to having a child through adoption? Is that something that you think about? And is that something that you also have that conversation with your husband? So absolutely. So when I, when my husband and I got together, we got married, we automatically said that we wanted to 
foster or adopt a child. Some of the dilemmas that we were coming across because we were living in California at the time is that mm -hmm. we really didn't have the space because if you are considering foster to adoption or straight adoption, you have to actually have space for the child. And we didn't have the space at the time until we relocated to Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. So as soon as we relocated to Las Vegas and we were stable, the first thing we did is we looked at our options first. And you have three different types of options for adopting. You can be a foster parent, you can be an adoptive parent, or you can be a kinship parent. And there's a difference between the three because it requires a license for all three, but there are different steps and there's different longevity that occurs with that those different licenses. And I can go over it through later, if you like, well, as you we'll continue to ask me some more questions. Mm -hmm. So that conversation, and this is another piece that is important, and I want people to hear that. What I loved, uh, you talked about that conversation that you had with your husband. This is a very important piece to the puzzle because that is a partnership that is the true foundation of parenting in this particular case. How does that conversation go with him? Were there any type of, well, we had to kind of make some negotiations on that, or were you clearly on the same page from the start of that conversation? This is important. Yeah, so we had some serious conversations because the conversation start out, started out with what age we would like a child. Would we like an infant? Would we like to have a school-age child or a teenager? And mm -hmm. My husband and I are not youngsters. So we're talking about we're over 50 and my husband is close to 60. And last thing that we said to ourselves is we're not doing an infant. We was not trying to do any diaper changing, potty training. All of that was not an option. So we already knew the age group we wanted. And we wanted a child that was old enough, that was school age, but also not too old that we couldn't mold them because there's a lot of children that are in our system, unfortunately, the Department of Family Services and other private agencies that if they're too old and depending, on, depending upon their background and trauma, it would be hard to integrate that child into our family. So we went, we went with a, a school age child anywhere was older than seven, younger than 12 was our negotiation of what age we wanted. And when we talked about male or female, I won that challenge because I wanted a male. I did not want to a female because I thought about my childhood and I thought about all the things that I used to get into uh -huh. as a female. And I was not willing to go down that road of raising a girl. <laughs> I wanted I, to raise a boy. Excellent. I was going to ask. That's what I was actually going to ask you about the particulars of how you guys came up with you know, do you want a male? Do you want a female? The age group, you, you address that, but you address something else that, that, that I have to get into. And I think this is also important piece to the puzzle. You address age. You guys, as you said, you're not young parents. Tell us about that uh, mindset for you. Was that something that you were concerned about to say, you know, I don't know, can we run around with the child? Is that something that comes up in your conversation with you and your husband? Is that something, you know what, we really have to take that into, into heavy consideration what our age is. 
Yeah, that that wasn't a problem for me because I may be over 50, but I act like I'm 16. So I'm young at heart. I do Mm -hmm. a lot of things that the child would love to do. I'm a Disney person through and through. And I know that traveling is going to be big for us and Disney World, Disneyland, anything that Disney is something that I know the child would really love. My husband is also a fan of amusement parks. My husband loves roller coaster rides and so do I. So mm-hmm. no matter what age we are, we knew this child would love a couple of options with us. We love the travel. We love inter- we love going to amusement parks. And then in addition, we love sports. And we knew this child would be engaged in some sort of sport activity um, mm-hmm. and whatever his choosing is. And we would be at every game regardless. So my husband and I already knew that the child would just be totally engaged. We would be engaged and it didn't matter about our age per se, Mm -hmm. but we wanted them to have memorable moments. And Mm -hmm. that's the big thing that we wanted to focus on in raising a child is we wanted them to be old enough that they could remember and love it. And hopefully they love it. At least giving them this opportunity to see other things outside of what they currently see today. Excellent. I want to, I want to, I want to get into some of those technicalities as, as we, before we move on. This is, this is important as well. Again, the process of doing this, I think it can be intimidating. I think for most people, it becomes an intimidating process. And, and again, when we get intimidated by things, our natural reaction is to run away. So I want you to kind of walk us through this now. Again, I'm going to be very, very trivial with it. I'm going to take it slow. And what happens when you decide, you and your husband, you know what, this is what we want to do. Who do you actually call? I don't even know that. Who do you call when you say, you know what, this is the process that we want to get started. And again, I think this is important, Rhoda, because people may have these conversations. They may have it in their head. But some of us, when we say, I don't even know who to call, that ends the whole conversation and they won't do it. So if we can shed some light on, you know what, this is who you have to call. We're going to take this step by step. So take me through it now. You guys had that conversation. Who do you call? Absolutely. So there's a couple of ways that you can research on how to get educated on first fostering or how to adopt. And the first option is go through Department of Family Services. They have the program actually all laid out for you. You can call the the Department of Family Services and they Uh will provide you an orientation where Uh you get invited and you will sit down and they'll talk about what the Department of Family Services offers for parents that are interested in fostering or adopting. Now, if you do not want to go through the Department of Family Services, which is obviously a free service, uh-huh. you can go to a private agency and they have multiple private agencies throughout each state. And they too can also give you, give you an orientation on the services that they provide from a private aspect and then tell you, if you're interested, what steps you need to take, and then how to get the process moving. Let's get into those three areas that you told me. You told me foster, adoptive. What was the third? It's kinship care. Explain to me now, is that a conversation that you have to have and a decision that you have to make when you go into this process? Break down the three if you can for us, because again, this is important information for people because it gets confusing. So break that down. Let's go foster foster first. Absolutely. So when you go through an orientation through Department of Family Services, they give you the option of if you like to do a foster care, 
foster care requires for you to, to uh, get educated on the type of children that you will be dealing with. You will only be fostering the child for a temporary period of time. Fostering is a license that you would get and it's basically called unification. Your job as a foster parent is to unify the child back with their biological parents or a family member. That license is only for unification. The second license is foster to adopting. Mm -hmm. That means that you would foster a child for a period of time to make sure that you're a good fit for the child and that the child is a good fit for you and your home. You have a certain time period to adopt a child. However, the child could be either in two different categories. The child can be either already free for adoption. And that means that the parents legally gave up their rights for the child and the child is free to adopt. However, they're still considered in foster care because they're under 18 years old. And you can foster that child, wait a certain, there's a certain time period, like a waiting period to adopt. And then once that waiting period is over and you meet all of the uh, regulatory and case expectations through the Department of Family Services, then you move to an adoption step. The third, the third option is a license for kinship care. If you have a family member that's not able to care for their child, you can actually give your child to another family member, but you have to do it with the Department of Family Services or any other agency so that you can get a license so that that child can be adopted through a family member through kinship care. Okay. So good example, if you weren't able to take raise or take care of your kids, you can call me and say, hey, I wanna make sure my children stay within the family and they don't get caught up in the system. Okay. Uh, I would like for you to consider adopting my child until ever I can ever take care of my child. If you can adopt my child, which is called kinship care license, and then I would adopt your child for a period of time from a legal aspect. That means I have full rights to that child, making decisions amongst that child. And then when you're able to, then we mm -hmm. go back to court and then they turn over those rights back to you as the, the biological parent. Or if it's something you just really can't do, but you know you'd always have a connection with your child because they're, in, they're within the family. So... There's no, and this is again, would be a misconception. I'm trying to think of the misconceptions that we have. There's no possibility to, because I think when you hear that word adoptive, adopt, adopting, most people just assume like, okay, I'm going to go adopt a child and you go down there and it starts with just the adoption. It doesn't work that way from what I'm hearing from you. The foster care is first. And from the foster care, we go into the adoption. Is that correct? Nope. Let me, let me miss. I may have misstated and let me be clear. Mm -hmm. If you go to the Department of Family Services, you mm -hmm. can fully adopt the child. But mm -hmm. here's where you can come to some challenges. You can go in and you can apply for a full adoption of a child. But mm -hmm. if that child doesn't work out, then you're stuck. I hate to say it that way, but you are you have. What's the word I want to use? You are a full guarding of that child until they're 18 years old. So anyone is, ever, pardon me? Immediately. 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 That's it. You're, you're committed to that child. To 18, you're committed correct? to that child until they're 18 years old. Mm -hmm. Now you can also go through a private agency. A private agency is the same way. If 
if a parent is really looking for to adopt a child and they don't want to deal with like Department of Family Services, one of the criteria before you even get a license is that you have to qualify. Qualifications is a list of things you have to do. First, you have to take an eight-week course to get licensed. Mm -hmm. Within that eight-week course, you go through a series of courses between you and your spouse or your mate. And to, to, to determine if you qualify to be a foster parent or adoptive parent. And then on top of that, you also have to deal with caseworkers, attorneys that are assigned to the child. And then they also have to walk, do a walkthrough of your home. So they have to ensure that your home is safe and secure. And also if you have children in your home or any other, any other family member or friends that live with you, they all go through kind of a qualification process where they do background checks, they do fingerprinting. And there's a whole list of things that you have to do to get any of these licenses, whether if it is a foster to adopting to kinship care. And mm -hmm. so it's not just, so there's a couple of things that you just have to go through. It's one, you take classes. And within those classes, they do an assessment of your home. And if your home doesn't pass certain inspection, then you have to fix these items before you can get your license. And if you do not fix those items, then you're not qualified to get a license. So those things have to happen first uh -huh. before you even talk about children, whether if it's foster or adoption, you have to get past the licensing. Now, if you do private adoption and you have the finances for it, Private adoption can cost anywhere from $50,000 to $100,000 here in the United States. Quite expensive. And it's very expensive. And mm -hmm. it's really, it's kind of sad to me because there's about four to 5,000 kids in the Department of Family Services that also need to be adopted. But sometimes mm -hmm. those children don't get adopted for mm -hmm. various reasons. Mm -hmm. A lot of folks go through private agencies and pay the money. And I feel like it's almost like you're buying kids. Can you, can you, can you, this is speculation, ladies and gentlemen, and this is going to be opinionated, but I, I'm curious to know, can you give me an answer as to why someone would do that? Why would someone go through private agency? What would be the quote unquote, I guess, advantages? Uh, obviously, if someone did that, they feel like it's more advantageous to pay. Can you shed some light on that for us if you can? Absolutely. So a lot of, so I wouldn't say a lot, but individuals that are looking to adopt and they prefer to go through a private agency is for a number of reasons. One, you may be looking for an infant. You may be looking for a child that does not have any sort of disability or the parents didn't have any um, other, I guess, uh, drug-induced situations that may be perfectly healthy. I'll give you a perfect example. A child that's 16 years old that does not believe in an abortion, the family does not believe in abortion. What they will do is they'll go to a private agency and they'll put the child up for adoption, but at a cost. And then a person would give up that child uh -huh. with no ties to that child at all. And a person would pay um, through the private agency. And they do that is because one, if, you know, there's a lot of people in this world that don't believe in abortion, but uh -huh. a lot of folks also have children that are having children that are under age, under 16 years old. And they can't really afford to have a child. Mm -hmm. So they give them up to private adoptions because typically in private adoptions, parents are looking for infants. 
They're looking for children that are that are infant that they can raise sure. and to say that they're their own. Is one of the reasons why you'll find more more individuals that would look to a private adoption because they really want to adopt an infant. Now, this is a question you may not have the answer to, but I'm curious. This is just a curiosity. The, 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 the parent, that 16-year-old who's having the child, when they go to a private company, are they receiving funds for the child? Oh, absolutely. So when the child is adopted, whatever that cost is, depending on the agency. So you have Christian, so you have Christian backing adoption agencies. Those are uh-huh. probably the most expensive, is what I found. I did my research. And then you have a number of just agencies that are available for parents that are looking for infant children that are up mm-hmm. for adoption of parents that truly cannot take care of their, their child. But, is, but there's a criteria that comes behind that. They want to, the parents want to make sure, is it a healthy baby? Is yeah, the, has the parents been taken care of, you know, through uh, prenatal? And all of the criteria that's needed to make sure that's a healthy baby before they even consider the uh, private adoption process. And then what I also understood is if it's not a healthy baby, the parents want to know what would be the the trauma behind this child before they Mm -hmm. consider adoption. Very Stuff. I want to I want to back up a little bit to the screening process. This is something that I wanted to ask you about. And this again, all of this, ladies and gentlemen, is mindset stuff. And we're developing. You have to really, really, really be big picture because I'm sure this process, Rhoda, was not easy. Just this process of going through it. Take us through uh, the camaraderie, if you would. That may not be the right word I'm looking for, but take us through the, the people that are doing the screening for you because this is important, and they're coming out to your home. This is your home. This is where I live. How is that um, almost magnifying glass for you and your husband? Does it feel invasive? Um, Does it feel invasive to the point of where, you know what, that's a little offensive, what you're asking me. But I realize they obviously they have a job to do as well. So I respect that. But it's it's, it's how you do the job is very important, too. So the people that they're sending out to ask you these questions, to go through your home with a fine-tooth comb, Tell us about that relationship and those people that were coming out. Of course, I, I want to be respectful of the people that are in that business. Rhoda dealt with who she dealt with. There's a million other people that are doing it. We don't want to, you know, whatever her answer is, I'm not confining it to just that person. But in your experience, how did that process go? Because, again, it, regardless of the situation, it's definitely invasive. And so tell us about how your mindset went in regards to that. Absolutely. So, first of all, my husband and I, <laughs> tried to gain our license during the critical time of this, uh, you know, of our society was in the middle of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So 20 January, 2020, my husband and I had decided that we were going to take our courses and our courses started in January in the midst of taking all of the courses, the required courses that we needed to be a foster to adoptive parent, then the pandemic hit. So mm-hmm. with that, our license got extended from, January, it should have been an eight-week program all the way to April. So it took about four months where we were taking courses uh, at City Hall. You know, they were in-person courses. And then we had to move from the last couple of weeks to the courses being online through Zoom. But during that time, 
we also had to have a caseworker. So after we got to a certain point in our license that we qualified as adoptive, as foster parents at the time, because we passed the um, background check, fingerprinting. And then my mother who lives with us also had to go through the same level of a check. She didn't have to take any courses, but she Uh also had to go through background check and um, criminal screening. Uh Then we had a caseworker that had to come out and they had to evaluate our home. Now, luckily for us, I believe we, we just moved to Las Vegas. So we were fairly very uh, clean individuals. So it was kind of an, an easy walkthrough, but what they walked us through was they took pictures throughout my entire home. Um, I felt a little bit violated um, right, when they right. started taking pictures in my closet and in, you know, in, in some of my personal areas, like in your bathroom, right. uh, in, in, in your uh, cabinets. But the reason why, so when they start taking the pictures, the reason why they take pictures, because they want to make sure the home is safe. They take pictures in your cabinets because they want to see, do you take, do you have a lot of medication in your cabinets, in your medicine cabinet, or do you have the over-the-counter drugs? Because during a checklist, if we had things that was considered a hazard or something where a child can be hurt in any sort of way, we needed to have security around our cabinets or put medications in, in, in a secure location. So we understood that. Um, they also, we had to all, we have a, we have a pet, we have a dog. We had to ensure all of um, our dog had all of their vaccination shots and rabies shots. And then they also needed to ensure that we had, which was a great thing is do we have an exit plan to our house, which I've never even thought about. And that exit plan means if there's a fire, do I have fire extinguishers? If, uh, since I have a second floor, two-story home, we also had to have ladders um, for any event that we needed to exit our home. If there's a fire, we can exit our home with a ladder from our window. Never thought about that. Uh-huh. Um, so I didn't pass inspection the first time because I didn't have fire extinguishers. Uh-huh. On top of the fire extinguishers, I had to have it in locations and I had to actually have signs that says where the fire extinguishers are located. One had to be downstairs near the kitchen. And then the other one had to be upstairs that was visible. So that was a great, that was a great uh, kind of to know that my, my husband and I didn't know we had to have these things. The uh-huh. other thing we also had to have was child-proof cabinets. If we're going to have a school, a child that's under seven years old, we had to have child-proof locks. And if we didn't have them, we had to install them before we, our license was approved. And so the, the thing that was probably, you know, them taking pictures was fine, but I think I had a lot of things that was a great discovery. And those discoveries was actually having an exit plan. Uh, mm-hmm. We also had to have make sure all of our fire and fire extinguishers, our um, uh, smoke detectors, all of mm-hmm. them had to um, be in each room, which they were in each room. They all had to have an inspection of once a year, which I do get inspect them. And I have dates on when the last time that they were inspected once a year. And uh, so all of those things had to occur before our license was actually finalized. Uh, and we did those things. But what I loved is we had to have we had to create that exit plan. So if there's ever an emergency, uh, a fire in the house or a flood or whatever the case may be, we had to have an area in the house where the child knew where to go and who to call. Uh-huh. 
And whether they go to the neighbor's house or or if they call a a relative from another state, they had to have all that information identified. And we had to have that information available for the child can see. And then if they ever needed it in an emergency, they know where to go and who to call. So that was actually great. But that should happen in every home if you think about it. You should have fire extinguishers. You should have an exit plan. You should have a place, a, a list of numbers that a child needs to call if their parents are incapacitated or not available. What do they do next in an emergency? So some of these things were kind of eye openers for us, but it was a good thing for us to go through. Of course, and I, and I love what you said there, and I and I want to. You just said it, but I want you to put it out there very very clearly. This process clearly is very tedious. Is it? Is it? I want to just that. Is it a frustrating process? Did you did, did it come a point where you were frustrated with it, or was it just that it is? But I understand. No. I was frustrated for a minute because I felt that some of the items, I'll give you a good example about the fire extinguishers. So Uh I had a fire extinguisher. I didn't realize that fire extinguishers had to be refilled, I guess, refilled every six months, every six months to a year. So every year that we had, we have an walkthrough inspection every year that we had our license. And I was getting a little frustrated because I had to keep rebuying new fire extinguishers and I never used the first one. So that was right. one. The second thing was the sign. So there's not a lot of great signs that look fashion forward for my house. Right. And so I had made a sign that I thought was kind of cutesy and decorative for my house, but it was not meeting the expectation of the Department of Family Services. So I had to change the the style of the signs that I had throughout the house to meet inspection. But then I realized that once I pass inspection, I can take the signs down, which I did <laughs> one after inspection. So I, I I was actually getting upset about something that was so minute to me that all right. I can do is pass inspection, take the sign down. What's the right. big deal? Right. I understood, but this is why these questions are important. And, and I want the listeners to really listen, because as you said, and I, and I appreciate your honesty, it is it can be frustrating and you have to kind of mentally remind yourself, I just got to get through it. But when you're in it, it's not that easy to you know reconcile that in your head, but it, it will help having them hear that from you. So that's why I wanted to make sure that that was clear. Let's get into now. We're going to be getting closer. We're getting closer to Shannon. Let's get into that decision that you have to, it sounds like you knew that from the beginning of, I guess in your case, it's going to be foster to permanent. Is that's what you guys done? Was that a discussion or you just knew right away, that's what we're going to do? Yeah. So what happened with us is that we initially just went for the foster license because what we wanted to do was to see, could do we have the wherewithal? to be parents. And if we had to do it as a temporary basis, and that meant have certain children in our home to unify them back to their biological family, can we do that? But then my husband and I started really thinking about there's some, there's some children that are in foster care that stay with a family up to, if it's, it could be as short as two weeks and it could be as long as almost five years before they get unified with their parents. And so we thought about one of the questions that we both said is, what if we have a child for like three or four years in our home? Right. How would we feel about giving the child back right. after right. them being in our home? So emotionally, we said we wasn't there for that. 
but we were given options during during our licensing. They said that you can change your license from foster from straight fostering, which is only for unification only, to foster to adopting. So now my husband and I had a little bit of a dilemma because we were already in six weeks in to our foster license. And mm-hmm. now we had to change to our foster adopting license. Oh, but wow. I had to. So because we was in, in the middle of the pandemic, I got a break mm-hmm. because they really needed foster parents at the moment because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. A lot of families were really a lot of foster parents were getting very concerned about the pandemic and having to deal with biological family visits and interaction with the caseworkers. And there's, there's a number of caseworkers you have to deal with when children are in foster care. Uh-huh. They have at least five caseworkers you have to deal with and one attorney. So six people in general that you'd have to have visit your home or talk to someone in, in, sort of, in sort, any sort of way and then deal with the biological parents as well. Now, during the pandemic, Foster parents were closing their licenses because of the pandemic. They said that they don't want to deal with the number of kids that have to interact with their biological family, the amount of caseworkers that are coming back and forth from your home. Foster families were giving children back and putting them in a place called child haven here in Las Vegas. And what that is, it's a group home where children have not been fostered nor adopted. Uh-huh. It's really awful because there's a lot of children that sit in this place called Child Haven here in Las Vegas, and each state has their own name of uh, it's a it's a group home. Uh-huh. And for, so for us, we had said that let's move to foster to adopting. And it was an easy process because once we got our license, even though we didn't have the license for foster to adopting, they made gave us an exception because they needed foster parents, even though in the middle of the pandemic, to still agree to take children. And we were okay with that because I felt like, my husband and I felt like this, regardless if it's a pandemic, kids still need a home, kids still need love, and Uh kids are still getting abandoned. And that's what we felt like, doesn't matter about the pandemic. Uh Um, So with that being said, once you get your license, you have an option as a foster parent with a license to go into the foster adoption website that is that is available for any foster parent or adoptive parent to look at any child within the United States that is free for adoption. And as soon as I got that license, I'm able to go to this website and I can pick the age of the child, the ethnicity of the child, and then the gender. And wow. that's what I did. I selected a child based on those three criteria and I got, and three children came up, uh-huh. three boys. And uh-huh. with that being said, I had put an inquiry for all three of those boys uh-huh. and I had to wait for the caseworker to call me back. Uh-huh. So now, now, now this is really getting into the meat now. Um, at this point now, the, the, this is the nervousness as you're going through that. You actually, this is interesting because you actually plug that into the, the system. Three boys came up. Is the nervousness now of the anticipation? Is it starting to become more of a reality? Are you starting to get nervous? Is that an emotion that is starting to creep in or no? You know what? No, I wasn't mm-hmm. nervous. I wanted to get the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. I was super excited that we had a second option without, without having to redo our license over again, that mm-hmm. I can just go in to the system 
and select children. I didn't even know that was even an option that once you get your license that you can go and look for children that are free for adoption. Uh And uh so my challenge that I had was trying to look at the profile for each child. It doesn't give you a full profile for each child. And Uh when my husband and I went through the whole licensing and the classes we had to take, there's a couple of things that we, we knew, but we didn't know how severe it can be. You can have children that are severely traumatized. You have also children that are severely abused. And Uh then you also have children that have some sort of mental illness. And Uh you'd have to figure out all of those things. And you won't really know that until you have the child in your possession and what kind of condition the child is in. And so so that's that's not listed in the the, the profile at this point, correct? No, it is not. Mm-hmm. So these are things that foster parents encounter with children. Mm-hmm. They don't get the full background of the child's situation. And, you know, mm-hmm. to a certain extent, you're not. You, you get, so when children are, I hate to say this, when children are removed from their home, mm-hmm. you don't know to the extent of why they're being removed because it's mm-hmm. neglect from the parents. So mm-hmm. all you know is the neglect, but you don't know the history behind the neglect. Uh And some children are willing to share what their backgrounds are, but then some children are so young, they don't have a voice and they don't know how to express what Uh they've gone through in their home, but then Uh they're removed from their home. Uh So as I was going through and submitted my request for these three three young uh, young boys, I just got a background that all you get is the age of the child, Uh the things that they may like. Mm-hmm. And where they're located, whether they're located in your current state or if they're located outside of the state. And what mm-hmm. is the criteria if a child is outside of the state that you live in? And some of the conditions that the foster adoptive parent has to have, like a good example is for my son, my son cannot live with other children. That was the, that was the condition. You have some criteria uh-huh. that's in your profile that mm-hmm. they can't be with other children or they can't be with younger children. So my son cannot be with younger children um, mm-hmm. until he's old enough to understand how to interact with younger children. Wow. So at that point, when you see the three, what made you determine which child you're going to pick? Was there a, uh, I want to use the right word, interview, so to speak? How does that process work now? Yeah. So I have to hear from each caseworker. So Shannon, my son, in his profile, it stated they wanted to have the adoptive parents live in the state of Nevada where he lives. Now, the other two were out of state. And again, it was just a matter of me waiting for the caseworker. So you submit an inquiry for the child and then you hear back from the caseworker. If you don't hear back from the caseworker, you can send another inquiry. But that's about as far as you can do as a an inquiring adoptive parent. Mm-hmm. Well, two months in, I would say we, we I heard from the uh, Shannon's caseworker, uh, I think I submitted my request in about end of April mm-hmm. and she didn't contact me until probably the end of May. It was about two months. Mm-hmm. And when she contacted me, I was kind of like, oh, wow, finally I got an inquiry in one of the children. Uh-huh. And when she contacted me, she said that I see your inquiry, you're interested in in Shannon, and I'm going to send you a little bit of background for Shannon first. And then let me know once you read his profile, 
are you interested to move forward with the pro- with the process once you read his profile? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now this is important and this is, may, I'm not sure if it's sensitive or not, but as you read through that, are there things that made you say, oh, I don't know. Or if it was, was that not a factor to you? Well, in other words, let me ask you this. Let me, let me ask you this way. Were there things in there that raised a little bit of a flag as you read through it? Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So one of the things in Shannon's profile is mm-hmm. that he was diagnosed with ADHD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's also was in the system with the Department of Family Services for four years. So mm-hmm. that meant Shannon was removed from his home at six years old and he lived with other foster families mm-hmm. that he apparently had struggles because he went back to, again, this, this group home called Child Haven on a number of occasions. So, but that was the stint of his kind of history. And I did a comparison because then after I read Shannon's profile, a second child, the second, a second child of who I've inquired about, I also heard from their caseworker. And that second child was really severely abused. And I wasn't sure if I really wanted to go down that track with the second child. So Shannon was my first choice. Okay. And dealing with the ADHD, I needed to understand what was the trauma in his life that put him in a position that he was diagnosed with ADHD. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that the other criteria in his file says that he should go to an, an adoptive family that is where he's going to be an only child. Uh-huh. So all of those factors felt good to me. The second child also had siblings that uh-huh. were in that were in other foster to adoptive families and I'd have to keep in contact with all of the other siblings. So those were my husband and I looked at those two different factors in the profile and uh-huh. Shannon we felt better with Shannon's profile because the ADHD we figure okay with behavior we can probably work through that. He was on medication uh-huh. and uh-huh. we Took training on ADHD children, but the mm-hmm. fact that they wanted him to be an only child, we kind of knew he was going to probably stay an only child. Mm-hmm. So that that was our determining factor while we went with Shannon versus the other child that we were inquiring about. Another huge factor here, and this is a big fact again for people who are thinking about doing this, and you touched on this a few minutes ago, uh, but we want to d- dive into this a little bit more because it is very important. Um, the child's uh, natural family. And you talked about that process of, and I totally understand what you're saying when you talked about making that decision to go from foster to adoptive or just being that foster. You said, wait a second, you and your husband said, oh, I don't think we can necessarily handle having a child, bonding with that child for three years, two years. I mean, listen, it may even be a year. And you're like, wait, well, we can't live without him. And here comes parents. We want the child back. Right. So how does this process work? What are they telling you now? Because, again, this we're rookies. People out here listen to this. These are questions that make people back out of adoption or not even try. What is the process? What do they tell you in terms of the involvement of this child's natural parents or whoever is maybe the guardian of them? Is that something that's on the table and it becomes clear to you how that process is going to work? Absolutely. So as we read through. The two profiles that I told you earlier, Shannon and the other second child, mm-hmm. the second child had both of their biological parents alive, and but they both relinquished their rights as parents. So when you become an adoptive 
parent. The child does not have any access, nor, do the, nor does the biological parents have access to that child until the child is of 18 years old. And that's up to the child if they want to reach out and find their biological parents. But there's no interaction with the biological parents once they relinquish their, their parent, once they relinquish their rights as a parent. Now, Shannon... Another mm-hmm. factor in his profile is that his biological mother passed away one month after he was born. His mother okay. had a heart attack mm-hmm. and he didn't have his biological mother. Now, his biological father actually had him for six months after he was born. And then he had his girlfriend raise his son and he left. So he oh. gave up his rights as a father and left the child with a girlfriend mm-hmm. and that that girlfriend did not have any any guardianship a legal guardianship over Shannon mm-hmm. and so that was one of the deciding factors in the profile that I loved because I said okay my husband and I do not have to deal with any other biological family once he's adopted yes uh-huh. and that was that was one of the determined factors that I felt like it it kind of all kind of connected for us. Wow. Great. We don't have to deal with that. Um, Especially the the biological mother. Cause if, if his biological mother was still alive, I'm pretty sure when he gets to an age where he understands that I'm not his biological mother, then he Uh may want to know who his biological mother is, but that's not Uh something we have to deal with. So that was another, that was another determining factor why Uh we chose Shannon. The fact that his, both his parents are not in the picture at all. Wow, it's just super powerful stuff. Um, so let's look at now. Shannon is, is 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 the candidate. How does this work now? What's going to be the initial meeting? How do we set this up? Is it in an office? Do they have to come out to see you? And what are the expectations for that? Is it just going to be okay? We're going to meet. We're going to kind of talk. How does this work? Take us through this process. And well, before you before you answer that, are you nervous now? Now does nervousness start to set in or no? Well. I thought it would set in when I thought that the caseworker said, once I, once I indicated that I wanted to move forward with, with Shannon for fostering to adopting, I thought it was going to be immediate transition where he would move into our home, but it doesn't work that way. So uh. since we selected Shannon, we had to do some prep work for Shannon before he can be accepted into our home. And we had to be approved by a panel from the Department of Family Services. Oh. So what happens is we create a welcome packet, which actually was the such the, the cutest thing that my husband and I had to do. Mm-hmm. We had to create a book for Shannon to welcome him to our home, but we had to introduce ourselves to Shannon, mm-hmm. but he didn't meet us physically. We, we did a, we created a welcome our home book for Shannon and mm-hmm. each child that is moving into an adoptive family They have each parent, each family or each parent, they have to create a welcome book to the child. Now, when when I when I thought I when I thought my husband and I were going to be were the only candidate for this child, I didn't realize he had other inquiries. He had five other inquiries outside of us. And so what takes place after that is once we say yes. We fill out some paperwork, and then my husband and I had to create this welcome book. 
Mm-hmm. I, had to create, I had to create the welcome book and it had to be presented. It's called the heart team. The heart team is a, a list of all of his caseworkers and attorneys and all the people that are involved in his care under foster care. And they go through the book and they determine all of the individuals that are inquiring about Shannon for adoption. They make the selection as to which family he goes to. So one of the challenges that we didn't realize is that one of the families that was interested in him was a family member. It was a cousin of his. And they had to go through the same process as, as us because they were not his any of his siblings or his biological family. So meaning not like his biological parents. So because they were first cousins, they had to go through the same process we had to do, create a welcome book, and then they have to be selected by the heart team, which is a which is a list of caseworkers. And they determine whether which family he goes to based on our profile and our welcome book. Now, the other thing that was great about this is that Shannon also, he's he was old enough to make his own decision. And mm-hmm. he was able to make the decision too on which family he wanted to go to. Wow. But now all of this, this is very interesting. Again, this is great insight because people don't realize that we missed that because I didn't know that there are other inquiries for him. Right. But now five, five, (laughs) but the determinant factor is not Shannon. It's it's the his attorneys and, and, and. his team of people, they're the ones that make that. Deter- now, all of this happens before you get a chance to even meet Shannon? Yes. Oh, all of it. Wow. Wow. I don't even, I haven't met Shannon yet. So now mm-hmm. my anxiety was, my, my anxiety became heightened when I found out that we were competing yes. against a family member. So the five inquiries that he had, the other three inquiries, they were out of state. And one mm-hmm. of the things in his profile is stated they would prefer for the adoptive parents to live in the same state where he was born, which is Nevada. Mm. I didn't Mm. realize that a family member was involved, that I felt like that Shannon could select a family member. And I'll share with you why he did Mm. not select a family member. Mm. Okay, so when, when Shannon had a chance to look at the welcome books, and when it's so funny, when I got a chance to talk to Shannon, and how did he select us versus his biological family, basically. He said the reason why he he wanted a mother and a father, and mm-hmm. that was what he always wanted. His biological family that was also interested in adopting him were, they were gay. It was two gay men in their family, and they wanted to adopt him. And he said he didn't want two dads. He wanted a mom and a dad. Wow. So that's, that's, so he made that final decision. Wow. Wow. This is, this is, this, this is a lot. And, and, you know, and again, it's just deep to me because again, I want people to, this is a very powerful show because it's, it's powerful. And we haven't even gotten to Shannon yet and we will. And, and if you gentlemen, but this is a lot for a young man uh, to be able to process. It really is. And even um, for Rhoda and her husband, it's a lot for them to be able to process, but, but it really shows big picture and persistence to say, this is what we want to do is not an easy process. Take us to that first meeting now. It, or, or am I missing a lot in between there? Once once the, the panel said, okay, we think that, you know, Rhoda and her husband is good to go. At that point is when they say, okay, let's set up a meeting. Absolutely. So keep in mind, Shannon's already in a foster, with the foster family. And he was living with this family for about two years. 
Oh, um, wow. And when we got the approval through his caseworkers that we were selected, they also had let us know that Shannon also selected us as well. So that made us really excited because mm-hmm. he also knew who we were and he made that final decision. Mm-hmm. Then the next phase that you go into is you set up a meet and greet with the foster family that he's currently in. Mm-hmm. And then they share how long that he's been with them, mm-hmm. what they have encountered, and then how is he doing in school, right? Mm-hmm. How is his educational level um, any other any behavioral issues I need to know about or be aware of, and any other special needs that he may need. Mm-hmm. So we then we get we then get access to the foster family that he's with, and we do a meet and greet. We talk through um, Shannon for the last two years, and I we get to ask questions. And one of the questions that my husband and I had is, what is Shannon's understanding of where he currently is? And does he know that he's going to be removed from this home that he's with? He's been with this family for two years. Right. Now he's moving to a new home and he's going to get adopted. Mm-hmm. How does he feel about that? Because that was my biggest concern is what's the emotional tie right. that this child has with this current family. And so the sad part about for Shannon is Shannon really believed that that current family that he was living with under foster care, he was praying that they would adopt them and they wouldn't. That's hard. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about his emotional state of mind Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. even though he knows that he had to, he wouldn't be removed from that home, but he had attachments there. Right. And I was worried about those attachments because according to the foster mother, she said Mm -hmm. they were really, really close. Mm -hmm. And she, and she expressed to me that he could run away. And that was one of the concerns that my husband and I had that, He could run away because he really loved, according to what she said, her and her husband said that he really loved mm-hmm. staying in that current, in the current home that he was in. Right. So we, we did have concerns during that time. I mean, this is tough because you're having to rely on her assessment and we don't know. Right. Exactly. We, we don't <laughs> we, know. Yes. You know what I mean? Very challenging was like, okay, you know, I, I would, we would hope that they're being truthful. I don't think there would be a reason to not be, but it may not be that they're not being truthful. That just may be their assessment. But Shannon is like, I can't wait to get the hell out of here. We don't know. Exactly. So now take me to that meeting. Or yep. I want to, and technically though, tell me, because this is important again for people. I want, I, I, want, I want to keep reminding myself to have you tell us what's, what is that technically like? They call you on the phone and say, okay, Rhoda, this is what's happening. You're going to meet, tell me that, and then tell me about the actual meeting. Yeah, absolutely. So after we get an assessment from the foster parents and they give us all the things that we need to know, then we come to an agreement of doing a first meet and greet. Now that first meet and greet has to be where we just take him out for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided that we would take him bowling and we figured, you know, that would be a good way to interact with him and take him someplace fun. Mm-hmm. So when we picked him up at the time, Shannon was nine, was 10 years old mm-hmm. and we picked him up for bowling and we fell in love with him to pieces. He was a fun kid. Um, I didn't see, you know, I didn't know what ADHD would actually look like, but right. it's not something that's visible, but mm-hmm. he was very pleasant. He was so sweet to us. Mm-hmm. Day one, um, he had a great time bowling mm-hmm. and we was with him for a couple of hours. And then we took him back to his foster family. 
Then from there, we mm. would meet with him for at least two weeks. Mm. It spend at least two to three hours with him as much mm. as we can, especially over the weekends. We couldn't do it in the middle of the week because both my husband and I had to work. Mm. But every weekend we would pick him up for mm. about three to between three to six hours. Mm-hmm. And we would spend time with him till he felt comfortable enough to, uh, and, and then we had to work with a foster parent to figure out a day that he would actually move in. And we had to also work that out with his caseworkers on when mm-hmm. that day would happen. So we had a good two weeks of just picking him up, spending day, uh, spending day dates with mm-hmm. him. And mm-hmm. then we'd bring him back to his foster family. I want to go back to that first day because this is again what i think people need to hear about because that is a powerful thing to be able to meet this child for the first time he's an individual so i can't we're gonna have to speculate on what he was feeling but is there some sort of attention do you feel from him like i don't know because that's what i mean from the outside looking in that's what i feel i'm giving you like you know i'm like oh you know this kid probably he he probably doesn't want to be with us do you feel that? And are you nervous about like, oh man, you know, what are we going to say to him? Take us through that. This is important, Rhoda, because I think people, this is a nervous time for most people where they don't, they will even say, I don't want to deal with that. Tell us the best you can about that day. You know, are you Absolutely. nervous? Do you sense from him that he's kind of like, oh man, you know, I don't know. You know, how does that feel? Absolutely. So the day that we picked him up, my husband and I wasn't really nervous, uh-huh. but we were, first of all, the, the foster family lived on the other side of town, which was about an hour and a half away. So we were really agitated because they lived so far. Right. Outside of that, when, when uh-huh. we picked him up on day one, do you know this boy ran out of the house and hugged us immediately? God. And what he said to us is that, well, I already know you guys because I saw the welcome book. But here's oh. something that folks don't understand. A child is going to be a child. We as adults, we come up with the anxiety and the Uh concern and the fear of the unknown. Uh But the uh child, when Shannon came out, he was just being a child. He's like, oh, my God, someone's taking me out for the day. Regardless if it was going to be his new adoptive family or just somebody that's taking him out. He was so excited to be out of the house. He hugged both of us. And he was so excited to just say, wow, I'm getting to go out and you're going to be my new family. That's what he said. And that took all of the anxiety that Ralph and I may have had, that all went Mm -hmm. away because Mm -hmm. the child is going to be a child. All they want to do is be happy. They want to be secure. They don't want to have fear. They don't want to have to worry about when they're going to eat next or who's going to reprimand them for something if they did something wrong because their behavior. They just want to live. And if that's what we found out when we picked him up, he was just so thrilled. He's like, oh, my God, this is my new family. I'm happy. And he was happy the entire day. Uh Um, from beginning to end, he couldn't wait to see us again when we dropped him off. Because actually his exact words was, can I move in tomorrow? Oh my God. He said, can I move tomorrow? And he couldn't move tomorrow. And every day I talked to him on the phone from there on to tell him, Uh he would say every day, when can I move? I'm ready to go. My new home. Why do I I have to wait? Is Uh what he said. It was a, it was a great experience. Um, and it, it was so rewarding to see how happy he was just to know that he's going to have a permanent home. Wow. So it was special. It really was special for both of us. Wow. Yeah, this is a, it's a very powerful. Um, you know, you said that it took two weeks. So that period of that first initial 
outing, the bowling alley outing. Everybody knows, is a fan of the show, knows that bowling is very, uh, you know, sensitive to me and my it's family. A family thing. Uh-huh. So um, they wrote us my cousin. So we've been doing the bowling alley thing for over 40 years. So everyone understands. So from that initial, the initial bowling alley visit to him moving in with you, it took two weeks. Am I correct? It took two weeks. Yeah, it could have took longer, right? So it's really based on myself and the foster family just trying to work through that. The caseworkers, which is really nice, is they kind of stepped out of the picture. The caseworker said it, the, if the foster families can handle dealing with the schedule and figuring out the day when to move, because we, mm-hmm. we didn't want the child to feel any anxiety and we didn't want the child to feel that the two foster families could not like get along because one of the criteria was during this transition was that Shannon was supposed to still keep in contact with his previous foster family. Okay. And I'm going to tell you, there was, there was a little bit of concern for me for that because how severe is the tie or connection to them based on what I'm hearing from the foster family? Like he may run away. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to make accommodations as much as I could to make uh-huh. sure he still had interaction with the foster family so uh-huh. that I won't have to deal with him feeling like he doesn't have another family or he really felt that that was his other family, even though we was going to adopt him. So he wanted to still have that connection and uh-huh. I wanted him to have that connection. But there was some unfortunately, there was uh, some gaps in that. And I could share a little bit about when you I don't know what your next question is, but I'll tell you that became that became an issue with mm-hmm. the other foster family. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 get into that because that's in, you know it kind of addresses what we said earlier about you know the previous family. In this case it wasn't biological, but it's going to be that previous foster family. And that right. is a natural mindset thing to have some how do we coordinate that? And I love right. what you said. Oh, for the sake of Shannon, we say, you know what, I can't, I don't want to just cut this thing and move on. He needs that foundation of saying, they're still there for you. They still have love for you. How, right. now let me, let me look at it like this. Now, from your standpoint, we understand that that's something that needs to be done for Shannon, but for you and your husband's standpoint, how are you feeling about that? Is that something that, and, and again, this is just how you feel in your moments when you guys are laying in bed talking. Are you feeling like, I'm not going to lie, I want to just move on and we don't got to deal with this. Exactly. So that's where exactly. So I was trying to be sentimental in all of this for Shannon, because I did want Shannon to have a smooth transition that, you know, he did have a second family that that loved him or had concern with him and wanted to keep that connection. However, after I started to get a little bit deeper into understanding their connection, it was more financial than Mm -hmm. more so of wanting to have a connection. So what I found out is that his foster family he was living with, the um, mother was actually an owner of one of the therapy places that he was having um, behavioral therapy on his ADHD. And okay. so after I started doing my homework a little bit, I realized she was double dipping into Department of Family Services because she had a contract with uh-huh. Department of Family Services and she was getting paid under his therapeutic care uh-huh. for ADHD. But then she was also getting foster care money as well. And that's oh the reason why she didn't want to adopt him, because yeah. that means she would not would not receive Got those it. two incomes. And so that was disturbing for me because after I started putting the pieces together, uh-huh. I couldn't figure that out. So once, so then I got to the point where, you know, I need Shannon to know that this is his home. We adopted yeah. him because we loved him and we wanted him. Yes. I just want to keep having this connection 
with his previous foster family because I felt like it was uh, a it was disturbing to have him have these back and forth emotions. Yes. And I had to sever the tide at, at some point. So it became it got ugly, unfortunately, because uh-huh. it got to the point where the foster mother refuses to call me, but she would call my husband. And she would Mm. want to be on video conference with Shannon Mm -hmm. almost every day. And it was to the point where I wasn't sure what she was trying to do to Mm. keep this connection going. But for me, it was disturbing because now it was causing conflict and it was causing Shannon some different type of emotion because he felt that as we, as he was growing with us, we were creating rules and discipline in our house. Right. And now, and he had, he had to adjust. But mm-hmm. it became to the point where he felt like, well, he wanted to call his other foster mom. Mm-hmm. And for me, that became a concern, especially when I knew that the foster mom wasn't genuine. Mm-hmm. And because if, if she was genuine about the, how she felt about Shannon, she would have mm-hmm. adopted him. But she yes. didn't. Yes. So that's where I went. And so because of that alone and the fact that she would not call me directly, it will always be a call to my husband, which I didn't understand that because she had f- both phone numbers. So with that being said. I had to engage the caseworkers and the attorney uh-huh. and I had to explain to them that I have sent several texts to the foster mother and said, I would like for her to take a break from the daily calls, the weekend calls, because it's not getting Shannon an opportunity to adjust to his new home. Yes. So we had to get to a point where we had to get, I had to get social workers involved to talk uh-huh. to that foster family and tell her uh-huh. They had to kind of back off for a minute because I needed the adjustment time yes. for Shannon. Mm-hmm. And then, and I didn't want him to feel that he was had to choose because yes. he didn't have to choose. It mm-hmm. wasn't a choosing thing for him, but I didn't want him to have a lot of options right now while he was still adjusting. We're going to get into that, that word you used, the big D word, discipline, in a few more minutes because that's going to be a big, big, big thing. We'll get there in, in, in a second. But I'm going to ask you, and, and this is a big question, and, and it may not make sense, but I think it's important for, again, for people to hear this. When Shannon came to live with you guys, obviously we know the family structure is starting to develop. But is for you now as a woman, is there a sense of having that transition now to like, I'm a mother? Did that come right away? Or is that a process? Even for, I, well, I can speak as a parent. Even as a parent, when you have your child, believe it or not, the child is there, but you're still kind of like, it's going to take me a little bit to adjust that I'm somebody's father. It does take, it took me a little bit. Even having them from an infant. Was that an a, a issue for you? Especially being in an adoptive situation. Did it still come to a point? Because you're still bonding to, and this is, you're not bonding with a baby. He is almost a teenager. Or is he nine? He's nine at that time. He, he's, he was 10. He was he's 10, 10 at the time. So you're, you're trying to bond with him, but at the same time, you have to also establish, which we will get into, that big D word of discipline. Are you feeling at that point like, I feel like a mother, or are you still having to get into that mode? Do you understand the question? Absolutely. So mm-hmm. at the beginning, I felt like a mother from day one. And I will tell you why is because I, I actually had a girlfriend of mine that had twins and I was the godmother to her twins from birth. They're like 25 years old now, but I used to have them quite frequently 
um, for the last 20 something years. I always had that motherly instinct. Mm-hmm. However, with Shannon, I will share there was an incident that occurred on his first day, his first overnight stay with us. And it was totally our fault. But at the time, my husband took it a little bit differently mm-hmm. um, in terms of the incident. But I knew it was our fault. So one of the things we love to do in, in our home is play video games. My husband mm-hmm. loves to play PlayStation and we allowed Shannon to play on our PlayStation when he came into our home at an overnight stay. Well, he also had purchased $300 worth of games that we did not know. Right. And mm-hmm. my husband almost hit the roof because mm-hmm. it was, it was, you know, unfortunately it was a purchase that came directly out of his bank account. Right, right. And we didn't realize it to the next day. So obviously we had an incident that we had to take the child back to his foster parent. Had to get my husband to calm down for a minute because two things I needed to explain to him. And considering we're first time parents, I said, one, the PlayStation and any other devices we have in this house are not parent controlled. Everything is game. That was one. That was our fault. We didn't think about that, even though we explained to him. But we didn't also. And the second thing we didn't explain to Shannon to not purchase anything online because they're connected to our credit card. He wouldn't understand that. He figures playing a game. It says purchase this. He purchased. He didn't know. And so, and then the third thing I'd explain to my husband is that the charges can be reversed. Just Mm -hmm. call the bank, explain the situation. We had kids in our house. We don't have parent control on our, on our, um, on our system or Mm -hmm. our computer that we need those charges to be reversed. And once the charges got reversed, then my husband took a breath because he did hit the ceiling. And mm-hmm. I told him it's not his fault. And right. we had to come to a discussion about that to say, we didn't take the, the parent, we did not child-proof our house yes. or none of our devices for this child. So yes. we had to, that's, that's something we had to take accountability for. Yes. And we did. So when Shannon came back to the house, we explained to him, that he can't buy anything without asking or asking permission. Now he uh-huh. still didn't understand that, but with, so to, so to keep him from being in that situation again, obviously we had to go in parent child control, proof. childproof the house. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, and that now you talked about ADHD and you talked about, and I'm with you. What does that even look like? Right. So as Shannon has come into come to live with you now, all of those things that we read, now they're coming into like vision for you. What was your adjustment now in, in seeing these things? And did, uh, what are the concerns coming up? They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, I read that, but now I can see it. Tell us about that process as we're getting closer to the big D word, discipline. So tell us about that process as what we read is now coming to like, whoa, my God, I can see what happened. Or even from his background, I can see now the manifestation of the effects of it. And we'll get into that even more so how you parent it. But just tell me about what did it visually start to look like for you when you he's living with you now? Absolutely. So when Shannon came to live with us, he moved in July 1st of 2020. And it was in the summer. And mm-hmm. he was not in school at the time. So as he transitioned and started adjusting to our home, uh, loving, he loves animals. So a dog was one of the criteria that he wanted. So he had a dog in the house. Um, We didn't see the behavioral issue. Now, Shannon also um, has medication that he has to take for his ADHD. And ADHD is attention deficit disorder. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a very, he's a very hyper kid, but he's a boy at 10 years old. I would expect that he has some level of, you know, hyper intensity impulses that mm-hmm. any 10 year old child would have. Um, so we didn't, we didn't notice the, um, behavioral issues until he attended school. But one of the things that I did, which was again, a lessons learned for me is that this child has been on medication for four years. I am not a believer of giving child medication. And uh-huh. I really wanted to address why this child really needed this medication. And because Shannon was only with us and he was with adults, I didn't realize that that the ADHD was really severe until he was around other children. So I had went down the road of removing the medication during the summer because I wanted to see what was it that required him to have this medication. Now, Shannon even though he was 10 years old, he was, if, when certain situations, he would actually function as a five-year-old. And I didn't realize that. So for instance, he would make a lot of crazy noises, noises uh-huh. that only a five-year-old maybe would make that he uh-huh. thinks are funny, but uh-huh. he would just make weird noises. And we had to talk to him about why is he making some of these noises? Now he uh-huh. doesn't make these noises today, but uh-huh. Once we started addressing the noises and tell him that, you know, these noises can be a little bit annoying. Does he, why is he making these noises? Is it because he can't speak, but he can speak well. He speaks fine. Uh-huh. Um, he has a very high academic, educational academically. He's great um, uh-huh. school-wise. Um, when he came to us, he was fourth grade and he was he had A's and B's. But I didn't also realize he was in, in an, I, an IRP, which is an independent program for children for special needs with ADHD. That's why his grades are so good. But he was also getting into trouble into school because educationally he was great and he was doing very well, but he was interacting with children that was much slower than him. So he was always doing Mm. behavioral things that caused him to always be in trouble in school. Uh Um, But so I decided to take him off medication for about a month and thought that if it works out of his system and we talk through some of the behaviors that he's that he's doing or experiencing it, this experiencing it, maybe he does not need this medication until he started school. So when he started school in August, I realized now where the ADHD is coming from. Uh-huh. So Shannon, Shannon, unfortunately, Shannon developed ADHD because the family that he was with from birth, uh-huh. he was abused from the stepmother i would say that was that was that he thought was his biological mother had unfortunately broke his femur at six years old oh my god So at the time of doing that he was also removed from his home at six years old so think about a child thinks that he's in his home what is he thinks is his biological mother the mother does something to him that's so severe that puts him in a hospital and Mm -hmm. then social service comes in uh comes are involved and then they move him out of his home so, uh-huh. of course, the child is going to be very hyper because now they don't know what happened to his family. Uh-huh. Um, and then during that transition of him being removed from the home, from his home, then they find biological si- siblings that he has. He has uh-huh. that he knows of. He has two that he knows. But in actuality, in his file, he has four siblings, two of them uh-huh. he doesn't know that he has. 
And uh-huh. the, when the Department of Family Services was able to find that he had two siblings that was old enough to take care of him, they also abused him as well. And then he had to be ripped out of that home. So Shannon, no one really explained to Shannon why he was ever removed from his home because of abuse. And so he's been abused so many times he thought abuse was normal. Why did he have to be uh-huh. removed from his home? So his ADHD initially came from the fact that no one really talked to him. And it's the same shame that the Department of Family Services, they rather medicate kids so that they yeah. can so they, they can kind of get along in society um, uh-huh. and be placed in a home versus trying to address what the real issue was. The real issue was no one talked to him. And maybe he was too young to understand, but uh-huh. someone should have put him in therapy at, at six years old when he was abused for uh-huh. him to understand that he may not be able to live where he used to live. Uh-huh. So my encounter with the behavior started when he first started school and where he the issue that he was having is that he would, and at the time we are in the middle of a pandemic and pandemic, you're not supposed to be touching children at the time. Right. So he would touch kids, not in, not in an inappropriate way. He used to love to hug. He was a very affectionate right. kid. He still is. So he would uh-huh. love to hug you. And then uh-huh. and he would get a little bit too aggressive when it comes to playing. So uh-huh. when you say stop, he doesn't know in his mind without his medication, it doesn't help him think that uh-huh. he's, he doesn't know what stop means. He figures uh-huh. when you keep playing, you keep playing. And then, he could play, and then he plays to where someone gets hurt. Uh-huh. And that's where Shannon, that's when I realized that the medication is essential for him, that he uh-huh. needs his medication to help him think. Because without the medication, Shannon doesn't understand when you say stop, it means uh-huh. stop. Or when you say no means no. In his mind, he doesn't understand it. But I will tell you, Shannon has always been, when he's gotten to a situation where he didn't, when he was overly aggressive, when he's playing, he'd always be very sorry. Mm-hmm. But when you talk to him, ask him, what does sorry mean? He says, well, I didn't mean to hurt the person. I'm sorry. Right. But he's, he had no malice or anything. But he didn't understand that in his mind, he's thinking it's okay. I'm playing. I'm having fun. I'm having fun. I'm having fun. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize that this is something that had to be addressed. Uh, with the medication, unfortunately, I had to re-administer the medication because I do see a difference in him. Meaning, wow. without the medication, he's a hyper child and he's all over the place. With the uh-huh. medication, he actually can actually focus and think. So yep. you added a lot there. And it takes me in a different direction even when we're going to talk about we Now is time. We're going to talk about discipline. And it, it, it really changes the scope of my questioning on that. Because it adds a total different element now, because you're able to assess this. Now, I'm sure, you know, you're sitting here now and you're able to articulate that. But I'm sure that's a process for you to get to this point to where you can assess that and, and, and just share with me what you just shared with me. How is that for you now to do a discipline? Because now you're telling him, Yo, I just told you no, or the kid told you no. How are you able to discipline that, especially once you realize there is an issue that he's not under quite understanding that stop, you know, you're getting a little too aggressive. How do you handle the discipline, discipline process of that? Because you're like, Oh no, I, it's a talking thing because I have to get him to understand clearly what no means. How are you disciplining him through this extra information that you have discovered? Absolutely. So the, the great part I will say about this whole process that my husband and I, 
um, went through with getting our license through Department of Family Services is that we have a lot of help. We mm-hmm. have an opportunity to talk to counselors, therapists, consultants. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. We can call them at any time. Uh, Shannon was already in therapy. So the therapy sessions that we, he would have was helping him to understand about the how to build uh, trust and mm-hmm. how to build when you are in people's space, right? And that's one thing Shannon didn't understand. He would invade people's space. He wouldn't understand what that meant. Um, mm-hmm. And he felt that he loves to play because of his hype, his, his impulsiveness. Mm-hmm. And so Shannon stayed in therapy, but the classes that my husband and I took was also therapeutic for us because it helped us to deal with how to deal with his impulse behavior. What do we yes. do? So our discipline was that we sat down, we talked to him, we talked to him. Um, and then we also had to deal with my husband. And I also had to deal with how we were disciplined a child as a, as a child, because you start bringing in what, how you were disciplined as a child, yeah. which I, I can't use that type of disciplinary yes. behavior of uh, disciplinary action because it's yes. not acceptable with a child with special needs. So with that being said, we had to do a lot of talking, a lot of communicating, mm-hmm. a lot of things called timeout. So one of the things that Shannon was really good at receiving is he had to write. So he, he had to write why he did a certain thing, how he behaved a certain way. So he would have to write it a hundred times. Why I will not do X, Y, and Z. So he mm-hmm. would just write. We would have him always writing and stay in his room and he would either read. Shannon is really good at reading and math. He is excelling in that area. And it's incredible how smart he is academically. But mm-hmm. he gets bored really fast. And so you mm-hmm. have to keep his mind constantly moving. But with Shannon, when you take away the toys, like, you know, playing video games or, um, any of his Legos, because he loves putting Legos together. When you take those away and he just has to read and sit in his room and write, his behavior mm-hmm. changes. So it's really mm-hmm. interesting. So that was the disciplinary action that we were doing with him for um, a long time. But then we also realized that he had to mature. He was still young and he was still adjusting. Yeah. A lot of the behavior yes. that, that Shannon had two years ago, we don't see anymore. Like Shannon is 12 years old today. And he mm-hmm. doesn't make those noises anymore. Now he's still on his medication. We did have to change the medication. So another thing that came out of the medication situation is that Shannon used to be on four medications, Uh one for his ADHD, but then one of the medications were counteracting and giving him high blood pressure. And then he Uh was having sleepless nights. So they were given a medication that was counteracting another medication, which was ridiculous. I got Uh him down to one medication, but we Uh found out the medication he was taking was giving him headaches, but no one addressed his headaches. And the headaches is where he was getting agitated. And that's where the headaches was causing him to where he would be aggressive, but not in a bad way. He would just be aggressive that he didn't understand when it was time to stop. So I actually was able to talk to his psychiatrist to change his medication to something that allows him to not have the, the headaches anymore, but he can now socialize a little bit differently. We see such a huge difference in this child since we changed his medication probably about nine months ago different child mm-hmm. altogether. Uh-huh. But the uh-huh. headaches was the problem. And no one, no one assessed or diagnosed that the headaches were an issue based on the medication he had. And now that we changed the medication, I see a different child. Um, logistically, logistically, and you kind of addressed this, and this is going to be important. A few more questions. This is important because it's different from 
seeing a child from birth. So that process, you're able to actually see it. And for you, as you just went through that, I'm really, my mind is really turning. So I'm like, that's very challenging because it's on the fly learning about simple things that we take for granted. What type of student is he? Like for, for us as a child, you know, a natural child that you, you gradually know like, oh, this kid is good in school or, you know, he's not. For you, it, it's right there. You have to kind of pick up on these things right there. And then with these challenges of, you know, the medication and tell me how challenging that is to be able to, because you have to really watch this stuff because you're in real time and you're, almost, you're still running, kind of catch up because he's already nine. Tell us about that challenge of catching up with just what type of student is he? Um, you know, how is he adjusting to these medications? Tell us about the communication that does he communicate with you? My, you know, mom, my head is hurting. Does he communicate those things or is that something that you have to pull out? Right. So the the nice part about, uh, I should say, education for children that are in the Department of Family Services, I guess, or, or in care at all is that you do get those records. I had all of his records from preschool to current. And I wanted to see what type of student he was and look at all his grades. So I had all his grades. I had his GPA for up to fourth grade, which is great. So I said, wow, this child is really intelligent, Mm -hmm. you know, educationally. But then I also realized he was in an IEP program, which meant that he was in a special needs program. But the special needs was for the behavior, not for the education, because he, he was reading at a seventh grade level in the fourth grade. Shocking. Wow. And right now he reads, he's in the sixth grade. He's reading at a 10th grade level. Wow. And so I said, okay, when I saw his grades, I'm like, okay, that was another thing in his profile that was intriguing to me. I'm like, okay, so he doesn't have an issue at school. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, this is another, it was another deciding factor why we went to um, saying, okay, I think Shannon is going to be our best choice because I won't struggle with his schoolwork because I struggled with when I was in school, yeah. I'm thinking, Oh my God, yeah. go back to school age yeah. work was going to kill me. Yeah. Then the educate, the medication situation is that he would never want to take the medication. I used to ask him why he didn't tell me he just didn't like taking medication. But when we really got to the root cause of why he didn't want to take it, he said, because it gives him headaches. I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me that from the beginning? Uh-huh. Um, and just say, instead of just saying uh, you don't want to take it. So when mm-hmm. you said it gives you headaches, now I understand. I said, well, maybe we need to take the medication. You don't have to take the same medication. We can change it. Mm-hmm. Now, the nice part, I will say uh, that's convenient, that when you do foster to adopt a child from the Department of Managed Health, uh, Department of Managed Health from the Department of Family Services, is that the child is financially secured. Um, they will assist. You get financial assistance all, all the way to the child is 18. And if uh-huh. they decide to extend to go to college, they get assistance all the way until they're 23 or 24. Okay. So all his medical is covered. Um, I will tell you, Shannon's medication, if I had to pay it out of pocket, is $400 a month just for Jeez. his medication alone. Mm-hmm. But because it is covered through Medicaid, he gets it for free because of him that, being adopted. That. But this, this medication is on is very expensive. Even under my health plan, it's still... Right. $400 a month out of pocket. Got you. <laughs> yeah. Communication is again, a few more questions, but, th- and this is going to be a little bit off to the side question, but it's important. Communication. Um, you've talked a couple of times, numerous times, obviously about your husband. Tell us about this adjustment. This is for anybody. This is important. 
the adjustments that you have to make with your relationship with your husband now that Shannon is in the picture and dealing with the different things that you have to deal with. Give us a little bit brief thing about that adjustment that you and your husband have to make now as a mom and dad. There's another picture, another person in the picture. Absolutely. So the thing in this whole transition for both of us is that Shannon respects my husband to the utmost. He can breathe and he'll stop in attention. And I don't know if it's because my husband has a deep voice or the fact that my husband is 6'5". I don't know mm-hmm. what it is, but mm-hmm. Shannon will listen to him intensely if, mm-hmm. if, if my husband tells him not to do something or just talks to him in general. Mm-hmm. Now, me, I have to fight a little bit harder mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm the disciplinary act. Uh, I am the disciplinarian in this house. Mm-hmm. And so... It just takes time with me and him, but for whatever reason, my husband doesn't like to do the disciplinary action thing. Uh, he's the softy in the house. Mm-hmm. So he lets me handle that. But if he's ever in a situation with Shannon, Shannon will listen to him. I don't know if it's because of the male figure in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it is that causes Shannon to stop and listen. Mm-hmm. He does very well with him versus me. Mm-hmm. But either way, from a disciplinary place, he understands that now that he's adopted our disciplinary action had to change a little bit because uh-huh. we were coming across some behavioral issues that truly was not acceptable. And then what I'm saying not acceptable is that Shannon is now um, 12 years old and he was getting into situations where either his mouth or his actions was causing him some concern in school. Uh-huh. And I told him that the behavior that he was um, the acts and behavior that he was doing in school was unacceptable um, because of the school that he's in mm-hmm. and the fact that he is a minority in his school. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we had to have some some serious conversation about he needs to understand the certain things you just don't do mm-hmm. and the certain things you just don't say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we're trying to raise a gentleman in this mm-hmm. house and a, a gentleman with respect um, and know when to say things and when no not to say things. So we just had to make just a different adjustment on disciplinary actions. And that means no video games for a month, no going to the boys and girls club. Um, But unfortunately, Shannon was also, I I should say, exposed to things that he shouldn't have been exposed of as as a young child. And Uh some of these things where he has curiosity. But I told him he Uh needs to talk to us about his curiosity and not do them or or act or, or act it out outside of the home. But once he started talking to us about certain things, I realized that he was curious about um, kind of made me understood because he was exposed to it in a very wrong way. And that's the communication piece about it. What what was the time frame for the finalization of the adoptive process where he's finally like, that's it. He's ours. Is there what, what was the time frame for that? Yep. So um, he moved into our home in July of 2020. The adoption was approved April, I'm sorry, March 11, 2021. Six, about seven months after um, his official move-in. Excellent. He was adopted after that. Mm-hmm. And the feeling that, tell us about that day. That day was just fantastic. Um, we were super excited that day. We couldn't wait for that day to happen. He was also excited. Um, and what made it nice is it was permanent. It was, for me, it was no more caseworkers. I didn't have the surprise visits. I didn't have to deal with 
you know, 50,000 people, as far as I'm concerned, and have to deal with the um, interactions with make how I was making decisions, because unfortunately, when a child is not adopted, you do have, you don't have any really decisions that you can make on behalf of the child is all of his caseworkers and his team. And it was nice to know that I can make decisions. He can go to any school. There was a big discussion about I wanted him to go to private school. They wanted to keep him in public school. And that was a concern for me because I said that public school, they just had too much screen time. Screen time for him is not good, meaning he, he loves video games. He loves uh, electronics too much. He needed to go. He needed to go for me. He needed to go to an old fashioned school that went back to pen and paper um, and remove computers out of the, the day to day. Uh, and I found a school that does that. So for me, he works better in that environment. And he's not always on a computer all the time. But mm-hmm. I, could, I, didn't, I couldn't make that decision. I actually had to go to court to fight that decision for him to go wow. to private school until he was adopted. But now I can make all his decisions on my, my husband. And I can make all the decisions as his parent. I love it. Fi- love final it. Any advice would you give to somebody who's getting ready to start this process or even like, you know what, we're not sure. Give any advice um, for that couple, that single parent who's trying to start this process. Absolutely. The best advice that I can give any parent that's looking to either foster or or adopt is that first understand what your why is. Why are you doing it? Is it you're doing it because you want children in the house you, or you're doing it because you want um, you feel like it's a charity thing like you want to help a child in the community or you or you really just want to build um, that stability for a child that you can give them something that they don't have. And then you have to have a discussion with your spouse or your significant other. You need to talk about the pros and cons if you will consider this, because there's going to be situations that you're not going to get financial assistance, um, depending upon if you go to the Department of Family Services or if you go through an adoption agency. You also have to understand your finance. Can you financially take on a child in your home? And if you don't understand that, then you need to question whether this is going to be the right thing for you. And then about time, are you going to be able to spend the time for a child? Because if you can't spend the time, the child is not going to get the love and support that they're looking for. There's a reason why um, the, that's what the child essentially needs. Once you define what your why is and you're financially stable and you can figure all of that out, then just do your homework. Do your homework and figure out what's the best option for you. Is it Department of Family Services or is it a private agency? And then once you figure out that and then you go down to, you know, what what is the criteria of a child? Do you want a, an infant or a school age child? Mm-hmm. And then once you define all of those things and you guys figure out and agree that we're just it's a go, then it's just a matter of just loving the child. Once you have a child in your home and if you don't care if the child is biologically yours or not, because that's mm-hmm. also a big factor. A lot of folks mm-hmm. feel like they don't they don't foster or adopt because the child is not biologically theirs. Uh-huh. Would you be surprised what a child loves is a home? They love two parents. They love uh-huh. calling a parent a mom and dad. They uh-huh. love the yes. fact of someone loving them. And there is it's unconditional love. And if you can unconditionally love a child, no matter where they came from, that's all uh-huh. a child wants. And the uh-huh. other thing a child wants is security. They want security. Uh-huh. They don't want to be in fear where they're going to eat next, you know, or if they're going to have a roof over their head, or if they're going to be safe. A lot of kids are not safe in this world and the kids that are in foster care, they're not safe. And that's what they are in fear of. And if you can build that trust for a child that you can give them the love, the security and that family atmosphere, 
you'd be surprised. It's such a gratifying experience and rewarding to be a parent, even through the lessons learned and the bumps and bruises of, you know, there's no, there's no book for parenting, but even though there's no book for parenting, you learn, but you'd be surprised. I will tell you the other day, my son had came to my office before he was getting ready to go to school and he gives me a hug every morning. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, he's never done that. And this mm-hmm. last couple of this last couple of this last year, he does it every every day. He comes if mm-hmm. I'm taking him to school, he'll give me a hug. Um, or if his father's taking him to school, he always comes to my office and he comes to give me a hug. Mm-hmm. Or every morning when he gets up, he comes to give me a hug. It's mm-hmm. it's a lovely feeling when you know a child loves you the way they do unconditionally. Listen, Rhoda, you know, I knew that you would be the one to do this. And you didn't fall short on it. This was outstanding. We appreciate, you know, your transparency. We appreciate your insight to be able to give both pieces, the informational piece and then the feeling behind it. I cannot thank you enough. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Rhoda Brown Blackburn, thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to see you. I'm going to see you in, in a few weeks. Um, okay. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for you know joining us today. I appreciate all of the information that you've given us. Everybody, I will see you guys here, right here again on the Mental Condition and Gym podcast. Everybody have a great week and remember to keep building those mental muscles right here, Mental Condition and Gym. See you guys next week. Thank you. Bye.